You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, well, good morning. Well, I was in junior high, and uh, we were going out on this fall festival kind of thing. It was like a, like a haunted hayfield, like a maze. There was a cornfield, and if you've ever been in those cornfield mazes before, it was going to be scary. Imagine if they're trying to make a haunted house out of a, a, a corn maze. So here I am, uh, junior high school. I've got this girl uh, named Carrie Dimmitt. She's my date. She's with me. I'm trying to impress her to show her how kind of big and bold and brave I am. Junior high, scrawny, my, my voice squeaks. And I've got her around my arm and we're walking around and a little, like a little hay bale turns over and a little, like a little goblin jumps out and I'm like, ah, whatever, ha ha ha. So I'm carrying her around on my arm. I'm so proud. She's, you know, just a beautiful girl. And I'm just like thinking I'm the coolest guy at junior high. I got this date. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear a rip roaring chainsaw and I, I, st- I start to stutter and speak, oh my goodness, what is that? This guy runs out of the woods with a freaky Jason hockey mask and a chainsaw, a real chainsaw. Wah! And he comes right up to me and I can't get going fast enough and I scream, ah, like a little girl. And she's screaming and I'm screaming and all of a sudden this guy comes and he puts it on my back. And I, I'm thinking I'm going to die. I scream, ah, throw my little girlfriend down on the ground and run. And this girl, boy, she's cussing me out. And I'm sitting there going, run for your life. I literally thought in that moment, a psychopath joined us at that event and was really going to cut me into pieces with that chainsaw. There was no chain on the chainsaw. It was all a part of the deal. I went back and tried to lecture the leaders like, you should not do that. That was too much. There are kids here who get scared. <laughs> that was me. So she broke up with me, never wanted to see me again after that. When we look at the tribulation event that we're going to be looking at today, it's a lot worse than Freaky Jason. It's a lot worse than Chucky. It's a lot worse than Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever freaks you out. I saw, uh, we were last night, Leslie and I were on the couch trying to figure out and find a movie. And right now it's hard to find movies. It's like Hollywood, put something together, come on. So we're trying to watch a movie and we see The Village. How many of you guys remember that? It's like this like weird freaky thing and it's like a scare deal and there's not even a real monster. And I think Joaquin Phoenix is in it. And so we're just thumbing through and looking through it. And then I started thinking like, this, I told her, I said, I can't watch a scary movie, baby. I can't watch it. Like, it'll freak me out all night. I won't sleep. I'll preach and I'll sound terrible tomorrow. So I can't do it. She's like, all right. So we watch something else. And, but here's my point. I told her last night, I said, I've been scared this week. Like, I've legitimately kind of been like saddened and spooked a bit. As I've looked at the totality, the magnitude, and the weight of knowing the tribulation. Tribulation is said to be a seven-year period of time. Uh, It occurs after the big event called the rapture. The rapture is, if you recall, when you were with us a few weeks ago, or you know your Bibles, or have heard the teaching, the rapture is the rescue event for all believers to be rescued from the coming tribulation. 
but those left behind in the tribulation is what you imagine the word to be, a major tribulation. This is a future event, a historical uh, uh, totality of death and destruction like never seen before in the world. It will feel as if the world is falling apart. Imagine a world where there are no believers present in that moment. The Bible says that in that moment of the tribulation, in the time after the rapture, after the initial rise of the Antichrist, which I'll teach you on next week, the Holy Spirit, he's also called the restrainer in different portions of Scripture, he's going to stop restraining evil. Imagine a world where evil is completely, fully unleashed. We live in a world right now where in the, in the natural and then the supernatural, where there's two realms, supernatural and natural. And naturally, we have things like police officers, militaries to help protect and preserve our country and the world around us. And then we have, in a supernatural sense, we have God himself restraining evil right now, holding a leash on the devil, in a sense. When the tribulation comes, it's unleashed. There is no restriction. And so this is the time that the scripture talks about that's terrible times. Look at uh, Matthew 24, 21. For then, Jesus says, there will be great tribulation such has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. This is a, a future event, a historical event. Uh, records of death and destruction like never seen before. The world will feel like it's falling apart. Evil will be unleashed. And there's two different things I want to point out to you that you need to know about the tribulation. Number one is that this is a worldwide event. I mean, the whole world will know about this. The, the scripture just told us that the, there's nothing ever been like this before. It'll be a worldwide event Partially because right in the very beginning, uh, right before the, the tribulation starts, the rapture of the church. Uh, that means not just one church, but all the churches around the world. In, let's just take, for example, the United States of America. Uh, 330 million, roughly, people in our country. Uh, 330 million live in the United States. And it's amazing to think that research shows that it's actually about half, listen to this, half of Americans say they are born-again Christians. Newsflash. What that means is, let's just do some easy math real quick. That means roughly, let's just say 150 million people say they're Christians. What's the rapture for? The rapture is for Christians. So, at the time of the rapture, there's going to be a millions of people that are going to be gone from the earth. Buses will just, drivers will be gone. The good old Christian bus driver that witnessed to you when you got on the bus, or the person that fills your coffee and you know they're a Christian, they'll be gone. They're raptured. They're rescued. But you and I know, right? Not every, not every one of those people that say they're born-again Christians are born again, Right? You know and I know there's plenty of people that take the name of Jesus and put a necklace on their neck or put a sticker on their car. They're not living like for Jesus. They don't even like Jesus. They just like God. And so, and so they're really not going to go. But it's still, let's just imagine a world where this would exist. I mean, this would include this 150 million, according to the survey, that say they are Christians. This would include Protestant mainline denominations, non-denominational churches, Catholic churches, Christian groups, 
And this would even include Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Science, and all sorts of strange religious branches that associate themselves with Christianity. So let's just say if 150 million people in America say they are Christians, let's just cut the number in half on who's really loves Jesus, reads their Bible, goes to church. Those are the born-again Christians. So let's just say that. 70, that would mean 75 million people make excellent candidates for the rapture of Jesus Christ. So imagine in a moment's time, the twinkling of an eye, 75 million people from our country are gone. Well, what would happen? Well, businesses would spin out of control, hospitals would shut down, financial markets would plummet, business deals would fall apart, farmers uh, would shut down their operations, delivery drivers would disappear, churches might, would be emptied, hopefully. Real Christians in that day of the rapture will be gone. Believers in all industries in the world will be gone in an instant. The agricultural industry, the military, the medical, the financial, the governmental, the educational institutes, all overnight will be gone. They will go into chaos, let's just say that. That would be a more, more conservative statement. When you move 75 million people, and there'll be all sorts of speculations. UFOs took my family. They did this. But the world will begin to feel like it's falling apart immediately. And out of that will rise a global leader who will speak calm calculations into the chaos. Revelation 3.10 gives us good news about this worldwide event. Look at it. Revelation 3.10 says, Because you have kept my word, about, my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial. This is Jesus talking. That is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Jesus said this is a worldwide event. No one's getting spared from this thing. Except those who are his followers, kept from the hour of trial, that great tribulation. I, I told you before, the, those that uphold that kind of doctrine, uh, the doctrine that I'm teaching would be guys like uh, David Jeremiah, uh, the late great Billy Graham, uh, uh, Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel, Chuck Swindoll, uh, Dallas Seminary, and uh, Insight for Living, and a score a number other of pastors, preachers, teachers. Many ev evangelicals take this passage of Revelation as good news that we are going to be kept from this incredible trial and tribulation that I'm going to be teaching on this morning. The second thing you need to know is that the world, uh, the world will be terrified like never before. You think you might have been alive during Y2K and you saw the craze and the panic, right? I mean, people went crazy. Back in Arkansas, they went way crazy. I told you in Arkansas, it's really funny. It's like when something really bad happens, everybody just yelled out, meet you at Walmart. You know, that's the place to meet when you get in trouble. At least that was my family. The world will be terrified like never before. Revelation 6, 15 through 17 gives an indication of this. The, the apostle John says this, then everyone, who? Everyone. The kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave, every free person, all hid themselves in the caves. Let me pause real quick. Last weekend, I was down in Kutchner Caverns. That's a pretty cool spot. You ever been down there before? Down in Tucson area? It's these massive caves. And I come from Arkansas, and there's Blanchard Springs there. So they're called show caves. There's these huge caves. Look what the scripture says. 
they hid themselves in these caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they cried out to the mountains and the rocks, saying, fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. What? From who? The wrath of the Lamb. Who's that? It's Jesus. So is the tribulation an act of Jesus' divine judgment? Yeah, it is. So we'll get to that in just a minute, but let's finish the verse. For great, the great day of their wrath has come. Who's able to survive? It's so bad that people are just going to be doing mass suicides. Everybody's going to want to die. Death is going to be on everybody's mind. Streets will be filled with blood. This is going to be the most horrific, apocalyptic experience in all world events. This is as bad as it gets, is what I'm going to show you. And what's really alarming about what I'm about to teach you, I'm going to just teach you the very, very beginning of the tribulation, and then it gets worse. So like I said in the beginning, like, my wife told me, she's like, man, after hearing what I had to say, she said, you're going to really, that's kind of a downer message, that's not very nice. And I said, well, Bible's not always nice. Sometimes you need the Bible. You just you need to need to know what the Bible says. So I want to give you the beginning at North Valley. I want to give you the end. You need to know you serve a great and powerful God. And what you need to know, too, is about the purpose of this tribulation is God will display his power in justice. You and me, we, we love the God of mercy. We love the God of grace. And I always say, where sin increases, what? Grace abounds. This is a grace-rich church. You come from a wild, crazy lifestyle, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Like, so did I. Been there. Done that. Got the t-shirt. I got a lot of pictures. I had to burn most of them. They were bad. So this is a grace-rich environment. Christ, God himself, his character, his nature, his attributes. We love grace and mercy and loving and kindness. What about his divine justice? What about these big words like God's wrath? We don't want that. We don't want that. That's why I told you earlier, 150 million people say they're Christians in America. But let's just, and I don't know, I'm not God. Let's just cut that number in half and 75 million say, I I accept it all. For God, I take God for who he is, not who I want to make him to be. That means that we accept a God who is all-powerful. He's omnipotent and he's just. If God is fully righteous, work with me. If God is fully righteous, then he's got to hate evil. He, he doesn't mingle with evil. God is not vindictive and he doesn't have any evil in him. If God is thoroughly good in his character and nature, then he has to be against bad. God is thoroughly good, and you and I know in leadership, right, that if you, somebody rises to a level of leadership and they permit evil and they, they, they like evil, you question them and wonder, what are you going to do when there is evil? Well, God has a plan for evil. He has a, good, he has a plan for the righteous those that walk in, in the protection and the blessing of Jesus Christ as a Christian. It doesn't, when you live as a Christian, it doesn't mean you're never going to sin. You're going to sin all the time. But I tell you, you're covered 
with the, the power and the blessing of Jesus Christ over your life. In the day of the tribulation, that indication that most people would probably miss is that if you read in the beginning of Revelation chapter 6, which you can look at in just a minute to open up your Bibles there, this tribulation is unfolded by Jesus as divine judgment against the earth and all those who rejected him. John 16, says this, I, I have said these things to you, Jesus is speaking, that in me you may have peace and in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Two things he says in that passage. One is he says, I've, I've told you about this. In other words, like, I mean, come on, folks, like, you know, and I know. People have been talking about Jesus for a long time. Like, the message is out. We've got the Bible. There's missionaries all over the world, like pastors, preachers, priests. People have been talking about Jesus for a long time. Salvation, God's plan is to the ends of the earth. If we've heard the message, I mean, we, are, we stand in, in, in responsibility to that. And there is this reality. He says, I've said these things to you, that you can have peace. Why? Because he's going to rapture, he's going to rescue. But there will be tribulations. Did the disciples experience tribulations in the first century? Yeah. Nero rises to power. Was Nero the Antichrist? Some would say so. I don't think so at all. There was no rapture. What do you do with a rapture? The Bible says that a rapture's coming. So, the tribulation is coming. We're not there yet. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. This is a future event where Jesus is going to overcome all of the world, all of the evil, and the tribulation is a demonstration of God's power and his justice. And so, what's the purpose? Number two, I would say it's, a, it's God will bring the largest worldwide revival that we've ever seen. This is where I, I just thank God for his goodness and his grace. Is he just? He's just. But is he merciful? He's very merciful. Because in the tribulation, millions and millions and millions of people like never seen before will come to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, imagine for your family members and your friends that don't know Jesus right now. And imagine if the rapture happened on the way home from church. They would be left behind, according to Scripture. But millions upon millions of them are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. See, in, in Revelation chapter 7, you can do your homework later, but there's this reference to 144,000 folks that are saints. They're called tribulation saints, if you will. Um, but they're, they're Jewish folks that rejected Jesus Christ. They gave him the middle finger that, uh, up until the point of after the rapture. After the rapture, they, they literally go, holy smokes, we missed it. Like, we studied these scriptures, we studied Isaiah, we studied Micah, we studied all the minor prophets and major prophets, we missed it. Jesus really was the Messiah. 144,000 of these Jewish folks that come to faith in Jesus Christ are going to be, I'm going to call them super evangelists. Billy Graham, a powerful man, uh, in, his, in his day and time, 210 million people he preached the gospel to, traveled around the world, used to be friends with uh, Billy Graham's um, counterpart who did uh, Spanish translations while Billy uh, traveled around the whole world. The guy's name was Luis Palau. And then uh, Luis Palau and his team, Kevin, they invited me as a young, when I was younger to join their evangelistic team. And I said, how much of the year do you travel? He said, 80% of the year we travel around the whole world. 
In the day of the tribulation, there's 144,000 folks. I believe they're going to be just as influential or more influential than Billy Graham. There's going to be scores and millions of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that the Bible says is that Jesus says, I'm slow to come because I don't want anybody to suffer. Will those new tribulation saints be raptured in the time of the tribulation? The Bible doesn't say so. They'll be saved eternally, but they'll have to stand strong through the tribulation. There'll be a massive revival. Look what it says in Matthew 24, 14. Jesus says this gospel, again, Matthew 24 is a great passage of scripture to wrestle with as you look at end times events. He says this gospel, Jesus says, of the kingdom, that's God's rule, God's ways. He says, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. So these 144,000 will be campaign evangelism all over the world. And scores and scores of people will come to faith in Jesus Christ during this tribulation time. And you know what? It's interesting to me is I think technology is going to play a major part in the future days ahead, right? I mean, right now you could broadcast your testimony and I don't know how many friends you have on your Facebook, but maybe you have a hundred, maybe you have a thousand, maybe you have 200, maybe you have 2,000. Today, you could today get on your Facebook and say, hey, I just want to say, I love Jesus Christ. He's impacted my life. If you want to hear more of my story, just stay tuned. And then you have influence to hundreds, if not thousands of people on your phone today. Before you leave the church, you could do that. In the tribulation day, I think technology will be further advanced. And millions and millions of people are going to give their lives to Jesus Christ and and experience God's grace, his forgiveness, even those that are left behind. So God's purpose in this tribulation is sometimes I think, right? Sometimes you need to go down in order to get up. How many of you in in here, you were just doing fine. You didn't need Jesus in your life. And all of a sudden you said, well, I'll be a Christian. Usually it's like, I need Jesus. You need a savior, right? Right? to be saved. So at the tribulation, I think what's going to happen, the most stubborn hearts will be softened. The most callous will all of a sudden be receptive. Sometimes you got to go down in order to get up. And that's what's going to happen in the tribulation. So how bad is it going to get though? Some of you may ask. I'll tell you, Revelation chapter 6, open up your Bibles if you will, because I won't have the passage of scriptures on the screen the whole time. I'm going to tell you uh, the story of the four horsemen and they're riders. Um, I grew up around horses uh, in Arkansas. We went to a ranch every summer up in northern Arkansas. There were hundreds and hundreds of horses on this ranch in the Ozarks. And uh, one morning uh, or one evening, my brothers and I decided to camp out and we slept in the middle of the field. And I'm there with my older brother, Rob, my younger brother, Dave, and we're sleeping there. We're watching shooting stars and it's just amazing, you know? And that's part of how I came to faith in Jesus Christ was being overwhelmed with creation, being outside and seeing the magnitude and the power of creation. And as a teenager, I was sitting there and we're watching this and we're watching, there's one, there's one. And all of a sudden we hear, and I say to Robbie, I say, Robbie, is that, is that, is that thunder? He goes, that's not thunder. And David said, what, what is that? He, my brother said, Stampede. He said, follow me. So we get up. We're hucking it across those skinny, scrawny kids. We're running. We find these trees. And right as we found those trees, by God's grace, those horses come running by. A couple dozen. 
And we were safe behind the tree. And here's the reality. Nobody's safe unless they go to the man who's been on the tree, Jesus Christ. And in the coming tribulation, there's a horseman and their horses that are going to come running and running with a power and a fury that you've never seen before. And these are metaphorically depicted in the book of Revelation as what's the coming judgment that is to come. Horsemen, in the, horsemen and horses in the Bible are referenced and symbolized as power and judgment oftentimes. And there is this stampede that appears on the pages of scriptures. The first horseman is this uh, person on the white horse. Revelation chapter 6 verse 2, the apostle Paul says, or the apostle John says, I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. What is this and who is this? I believe this is the Antichrist is who this is. Some people would say, no, I think it's Jesus. No, I don't think it's Jesus. Revelation chapter 19 shows Jesus, and he's on a white horse too, but what do we know about Satan and about God? Satan always counterfeits. He's always looking cool and clever. Think about it in the days of Moses, when Moses does a miraculous powers and signs and wonders, and God's using Moses. Well, what happens? The evil magicians and all those people, they counter those miraculous events with their own signs and wonders. So here what we see in the very first pages of Scripture in this stampede of end times judgment upon the earth, John says there's this white horse and its rider. No name to the rider, but he says he has a bow. Notice he doesn't have any arrows. Why is that? Because when you study the Antichrist, which I'll teach about next week, he comes in the very beginning of the tribulation period, he actually comes on a platform of peace. Because the whole world's in chaos, because all the believers are gone, and there's an economic, there's a medical crisis, there's all sorts of issues going on. But he has a crown. What does that mean? He has power. He has the victor's crown. And then he was given to him in conquering and came to conquer. So he will do some amazing, horrific things that have never been seen before in the world to create war and chaos. But in the beginning of his rise, he will be thought of as maybe the, the Nobel Peace Prize or the, uh, the, the man of the year, according to Time Magazine. The Antichrist begins the tribulation. The real Jesus ends the tribulation. The Antichrist uh, brings a false peace. The real Jesus, the real Christ, brings true peace. These are not the same. This is the Antichrist. Number two, there is a red horse that we see riding onto the scene in the pages of Scripture. Revelation 6, 4 says this, and out came another horse, a bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Red in the Bible symbolizes terror and carnage. In the book of Revelation specifically, uh, when red is mentioned here in, in the first uh, chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, this is a red war horse. This is a sign of a, a, a military uh, flush and fury of people or something coming into our world and uh, bringing terror and carnage. In Revelation chapter 12, there's a red dragon. In Revelation chapter 17, there's a red beast. So red here symbolizes terror and carnage is what this is. This will be another wave after the Antichrist. Soon after the Antichrist rises to power, there will be massive bloodshed. 
like never seen before. He's coming with a sword, a great sword, this red rider. Um, the Greek word uh, here is marchira, and it is a Roman sword or an assassin's sword. It would be used for capital punishment or stealth, stealth missions to uh, kill somebody. So this rider is coming in in that kind of warfare. In today's time, um, we think of war, we think of the war on terror, or we think of war on drugs, or riots, and cities set aflame, and mass shootings, and looting, and nuclear attacks, or weapons of mass destructions, or chemical and biological warfare. All of these things, I believe, will be used in this time period when this red horse shows up on the scene. All of that will be used. And you think back in your uh, war history, World War I, 1914 to 1918, an estimated of 20 to 37 million people uh, died in that war or a result of that war. In World War II, 1939 to 45, it was a higher number of people that died, 56 to 80 million estimates are people uh, died as a result of that war. But listen to this. In all of war history, how many people do you think have died as a result of war? In all of, not American history, world history. Estimates are up to one billion people have died in, as related to wars in history. What I'm telling you, according to Jesus, Matthew 24, 21, the tribulation will be worse. The red horse will bring war that's increases those numbers, exceeds that magnitude of death and destruction. And what's amazing and shocking is this, is that it's not over thousands of years, it's over seven years. That means potentially over a billion people will die on planet Earth in a seven-year period of time. That's astronomical. No one has ever seen anything like that. That would echo what Jesus is talking about. No, nobody's seen this kind of stuff is what Jesus says. And then there's a third rider. It is the black horse, the rider on the black horse. And look what Scripture says. The apostle John says, I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius? A couple of things that you need to know to understand that. Well, that would be shocking news to first century readers or listeners. What that illustrates is hyperinflation. A denarius is a day's wages. So that means you work all day long, nine to five, and your wages, what you could buy with that would be one thing, a little wheat that would feed one person. What that is, if you brought it down to do the, the mathematical equations, that'd be uh, an inflation of like a thousand percent. A thousand percent inflation would go on. And so you say to me, well, how are people going to survive? A lot of them are not. That's what I was telling you. Famine's going to come. Well, what's, what's the Antichrist going to do? The Antichrist, according to Revelation chapter 13, verse 17, says that he, what he's going to do is set up a global economy and no one can buy, no one can sell, do nothing without what? The mark. So there is going to be this, this black horse actually represents a famine. 
It's a prolonged, it's where prolonged hunger caused by floods or crops, a failure per, uh, of crops. It's the aftermath of war from the red horse. There's a widespread death and disease in the wake of war. They, uh, and, and what's interesting about a famine is people, uh, that usually famines last for a period of, of months or years. Because the famine will have its way. Either the people will survive and overcome and find relief, or they'll be absolutely decimated. They'll all die. You guys might remember uh, Katniss Everdeen in Hunger Games. She's in a fight for her life to to get food. That's a good picture of what's going to happen. Who, who's going to survive the trying times of the tribulation? Who's going to survive this aft, aftermath of the black horse and its rider? I think it's going to be those people that can figure out how to hunt and fish. So if you hunt and fish, good for you. You better teach up a bunch of people. So this is the famine that will come upon our world. Uh, today as Americans, we don't think about the totality of this or how the magnitude of a famine. Because in American culture, listen guys, we throw away on average, an average American throws away enough food every day. One person throws away enough food to feed a family of six in a third world country. Here's the other thing. You and I feed our, our, our dogs, we feed our dogs and cats more protein, nutrition than the average person around the world in a third world country can eat. So you and I don't know this famine thing very well. We may be familiar with some other things, which I'll get to in just a moment, additional weapons of warfare. But this famine thing we're not familiar with. 815 million people are starving today. That means that they're going uh, weeks, if not months, without a meal. So we, we don't have that kind of pain. Um, we get hungry because we didn't eat fast enough or we skipped a meal. This is the famine that is occurring in the tribulation period is a famine of severe, prolonged hunger. Number four, the fourth horse is the pale horse. This is the worst. And yet it is also just the beginning of the tribulation wrath that is to come. The pale horse mentioned in Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, the Apostle John says, I looked and behold a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. This is the first time that the four horsemen uh, get a name. This guy on the pale horse has a name. His name is what? Death. What's his buddy's name that's kind of trailing alongside of him? Hades. What is Hades? What's another word for Hades. Hell. So death and hell are coming in. The stampede of suffering. The word pale is uh, in the Greek, the Greek word is chloros. It's where we get the word chlorine or chlorophyll. Uh, the depiction of this pale horse is that of a, 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 an advanced decaying dead body is what this is. Death at magnitude levels never seen before will come with this fourth horseman. Uh, recently, this last weekend, my, you, know, you might know, my family and I were out of town. Uh, we went down to uh, southern Arizona. We went and visited Tombstone, and that's kind of a pretty neat spot. You're, it's kind of like a place frozen in time. These cowboys and, and folks are uh, bars and brothels and all that stuff. They've got it all set up, Wild West shootout. 
But something struck my attention. I noticed when we were walking down the streets that and there was these pictures of the movie stars everywhere. You know, uh, folks like Kurt Russell playing Wyatt Earp. And as we walked down there, I started to remember some of those scenes in that movie. And you might remember this scene at the very end of Tombstone. Uh, Kurt Russell yells out in this mean voice to some outlaw, and he's like brandishing this double-barrel shotgun. And he yells out, and they're in this big gunfight, and he says, You tell him I'm coming! You tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming with me! You hear? That's going to be the same kind of statement death can make. Death is coming, and hell's coming right there with them. There's this picture in this pale horse that it's going to have a a, a hellacious experience for all those left behind. Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, let's look again at what it says. And, And they were given, who's they, death and hell, were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill. What is a fourth of the earth? A fourth of the earth right now would be 1.5 billion people is what that would be. They're giving death and authority or given authority to kill 1.5 billion if that was to happen perhaps today or in the future as the population grows and you subtract those that got raptured out. That's a lot of people in a seven-year period of time. That's more than have died in any war uh, or the totality of all wars put together. So what are these weapons of war? Notice in the passage of Scripture, there's a sword. So you know that's a symbol of, uh, of war. So uh, this pale horse rider, Death, and his, and his uh, 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 partner are going to come, and they're going to bring war. What would that war be? It's in addition to the other, the red horse and that rider. So this is more war. What would be the war would be probably all sorts of uh, military warfare, global nuclear attacks, all that. I mean, if you think of how would the world self-destruct, you'd think of civil wars, nuclear attacks, terrorist attacks, uh, just all sorts of stuff like that. that. That is, I think, how we would see this come to pass. And then there's famine. Um, You've, you've learned a bit about what that is, but notice these last two weapons of warfare, pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. This is what really stands out to me as perhaps the most intriguing as uh, these weapons of warfare. Um, pestilence, if, if you were to define pestilence, uh, you would get something along this lines. Pestilence is a fatal epidemic meaning it's a widespread occurrence of an infectious disease. Does this sound familiar? It's it's an infectious disease, highly contagious, a virus of sorts that will spread throughout the whole world. Did you know that most people, when they study war versus pandemics or plagues in the Bible, and there's a lot of relationship between plagues and pandemics, that actually pandemics are oftentimes the most deadly because it's a silent killer and they last long periods of times. Uh, during COVID-19, I did some gene- genealogical research and I was reading a letter from one of my great-great-grandmothers that was writing to her cousin and she entered the letter by something like this, Dear Helen, they shut down all the schools and a lot of people got the flu. 
and I hope you're okay. It's raining a lot here in Ohio. I look forward to seeing you in September. Well, Helen died in, in just a couple of weeks after receiving that letter. That's just part of my story. It's part of my past. Here's what you need to know. When you look at the pestilence that is to come, I think we could translate and understand in modern day terms, if we do the definition work, a fatal epidemic or a pandemic, a widespread occurrence of uh, diseases. And the Bible oftentimes refers to these plagues or as pandemics. The most recent one that you and I obviously know so well that changed the world is the COVID-19 virus. I think that COVID-19 is a foreshadowing of what is to come. This virus has quickly become a global pandemic. Its death toll so far is something just over 1 million people worldwide. There's a lot of arguments and debates on how the totality of counting all those numbers, but nonetheless, people are dying. So there is this reality, though, of you might ask the question, well, what are the wild beasts, Pastor Ryan? I think the wild beasts are connected to the pandemics. You say, well, how can that be? Well, if you look at just an easy translation of wild beasts, it's just mammal. It's an animal. So what about history of pandemics? Well, let me just give you a history of pandemics of our world. Consider the bubonic plague of 1347. It was a mammal. It killed, listen to me, 200 million people and it came from rats, a mammal, little wild beast. Or what about the Spanish flu that my great-great-grandmother died in? In 1918, it came from wild birds, killing some 50 million people. Or what about the Asian flu that came from wild ducks in the 1950s that killed over a million? Or consider the the well-known swine flu that came from pigs in 2009 killed some 200,000 people. This is just a, a tiny little sliver of pandemic history in our world. My point is saying is that when the pale rider comes in, one of his most deadly weapons will be, will be a biological warfare, viruses and, and bacterias that will spread through the world to kill and to destroy Virtually, a lot of these viruses can be untreatable. Uh, there's always hopes of a vaccine. Some, uh, in, in, our, in our experience in, in, in world history, oftentimes we can find a vaccine, but it takes years and years sometimes. Um, the CDC recently reported that they have detected more than 220 cases of illnesses caused by a rare breed of bacteria that are, that are by one report, said virtually untreatable. In other words, there's so much of this crossover, spillover of viruses and contamination between animals and human beings, and this is why oftentimes you see a lot of these viruses popping up in populations where there's a very close relationship between uh, people and animals. Um, Ed Young is a writer for The Atlantic and covers science, pointed out in an article titled, The Next Plague is Coming, Is America Ready? He said that new diseases are forming fast and scientists just can't keep up. Additionally, the article went on to say that these uh, diseases and illnesses, viruses, are on average uh, coming into our population, massive populations, one new one every single year. But this has been happening, listen, for the last 30 years. 
So we're increasing the intensity of these, uh, or uh, the frequency, that would be the better word, the frequency of these new diseases coming into our populations. And oftentimes, it's hard for the medical community to keep up. These are called spillover diseases, is what they're called. Uh, where there's a, a disease within the animal, the, the person gets it, and then it spreads throughout from, from human to human. Currently, the estimates are up to 700,000 to several million. It's a wide estimate. Uh, people are dying each year from these, bacteria, from these bacterias, many of which antibiotics cannot help. There are millions of people that are saved through modern-day medicine and vaccines. In the tribulation, there will be no remedy. There's no vaccine. The only uh, vaccine is, is Jesus. That's it. There's no medicine's going to help the pale horse rider in his weapons of warfare. Everyone's doomed. Apart from the magnificent mercy and the offer of salvation to all those who receive him, to all those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. But will those children have to suffer during the time of the tribulation? They will. But they will have eternal life. Many of them will die a martyr's death in that day and time. Is this the end? Some people have asked. Do you think this is the end, Pastor Ryan? Is the coronavirus part of the tribulation? Are we in the tribulation right now? Is this president or soon-to-be president, are they the Antichrist? Here's my response. No. We live in the end times, but this is not the end. Every prophet, every current event that you see right now happening, the rise of a global economy, the, the peace treaty that was signed with Israel, the coronavirus, the global implications that come with that, all of those are, here's what I'm going to call it, foreshadowings of the future. They're not direct fulfillments of Scripture. The next big event for you and me, brothers and sisters in Christ, is the rapture. That's the next big event. As soon as that happens, which you and I will be with the Lord, then all these events will begin to take place. And so, what is the right response? I'll give you three. Number one, I think the right response in a time like this is that as believers, you give praise. You give praise to God because you're going to be raptured. You're not going to have to endure this suffering. You will be saved from the suffering. Um, God, God wants to use you right now and as you praise God right now, you fill up with more of God's goodness and His kindness, and then you spread that to other people. And secondly, you proclaim. Right now is the time to proclaim your faith. It's going to be increasingly difficult to be a Christian and an overt Christian, and Christianity is not meant to be a privatized thing. It's supposed to be a public thing. And every, if you're a teacher, you, you're a Christian teacher. You're a Christian if you're a, 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 a scientist, you do it for the glory of God. If you're in the technology realm, if you're in the medical professional, whatever it is, your sphere of influence right now, you are a thoroughly Christian. You should proclaim Jesus to people. How do you do that? I've told you before. You start talking about how Jesus has impacted your life. That's an easy way to do it. You talk about issues like sin. You label things that are bad and evil. You say, this is sin. What do you know? 
There's good news, though. You talk about the Savior. Jesus says he's going to save us from our sin. He gives us hope. He gives us redemption. So right now is the time that you proclaim. You proclaim the gospel. And here's the good news about God. Even in the tribulation, for all those that are left behind and have to suffer all these trials and tribulations, people are going to be saved. Millions upon millions are going to come to faith in Christ. But you don't want to risk it. You should share your faith with every unbeliever that you know. If you haven't shared your faith, you should. That is the vaccine. That is the antidote. There's nothing else. And so proclaim your faith. Lastly, I'd say be at peace. There's a great blessing. And the Bible said in the very beginning of Revelation, there's blessing in knowing these prophecies. We should be at peace at some level. Because, man, the Bible and the theology that we are learning says that we're going to be rescued. We're going to be raptured from this terrible event. We should be at peace and know that Jesus is, is our peace and that we don't have to face this. And so there's a blessing and a peace that ought to come as a believer when you learned the beginning of this word and then when you learned the end. There's a great peace in that. You know the story, ladies and gentlemen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for all those here today that that do love you, that do follow you, that do want to live by you, I pray that a new level of peace would rest upon their family, their household, their businesses, all that they do. Father, I pray for them as well. I pray that they would start proclaiming you. Where they were scared before, give them courage. Lord, I I do believe that you've used this coronavirus to wake up and to shake up our whole world. And I pray, Father, for the churches all around the world where it says right now, research is saying one in five churches are going to be shut down in the next 18 months. Lord, I pray right now our Christians around the world would begin to wake up and, Lord, they would speak up. So I pray, Father, for them. They would share their faith and millions of people would come to faith in Christ in the the coming weeks and months ahead. Father, I pray for them as well that they would just uh, turn towards you. And all those that do not know you, today would be the day where they cross the line and they say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Acknowledge their sin. Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord to forgive them of of their sin and confess confess him today as Lord. Lord, I thank you for all of your word in seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it, God. We get to see in your word and know that there's a promise and a hope for your work to be done in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.